0: Welcome back to the WordBolt Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions to space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I have a surprise for you today. If you're a Friends fan, I'm on a break for this episode. But if you don't get that reference, what I mean is I'm not hosting this episode. We thought it would be cool to disrupt ourselves and invite Dave Kearns to guest host this episode. Dave and I have teamed up a few times this past year, and this is his third time on the Work World podcast. Since we have vice chairman from CBRE, Dan Harvey, talking about the future of work, I thought it would be fitting for Dave to interview him. Get ready to stretch your mind because putting these two forward thinkers together might possibly make a few inflexible heads explode. Dave and Dan discussed the polarization around the future of work and the inflection point that will checkmate finite thinkers. There is no holding back in this episode as this duo channel their bold personalities to help commercial real estate wake up to what office customers want from our industry. We hear about the evolution of cities and work and a nifty future that will help encourage certain types of employee behavior. And by nifty 50, I mean NFTs. But speaking of evolution, Dan shares who he believes may soon rest with the dinosaurs. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, I didn't think I'd be outsourcing the user experience of my podcast when we launched this thing back in 2020, but crazier things have happened since. Let's just call this a management agreement. I think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome back to the Warped Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I'm actually not hosting this episode today, but I am going to introduce this episode's guest host and his guest. You may know him as an avid content creator on LinkedIn who is highly respected by his peers. He received over a million views in 2020 alone across his content. He's becoming a regular on this podcast. My friend, the voice of the office customer, Mr. Dave Kearns from CBRE, will be hosting today. Joining Dave is someone I look up to in our industry, not just because of his deep experience, but because of his mindset, a wizard in his own right. Mr. Dan Harvey, vice chairman at CBRE, grew up delivering workplace in the primordial soup known as the San Francisco Bay Area. He's been on the field of play, watching and being part of the birth of the internet and cloud computing companies from patient zero to the massive tech platform companies we have today. As a vice chairman of CBRE, Dan's clients are fast sector innovation companies where software, mobility, and AI, that's artificial intelligence, are driving rapid disruption of slow sector enterprises. He brings breakthrough insights to delivering dynamic digital workplace that is a force multiplier for talent density and a vibrant culture. Welcome to the WorkBuild Podcast, gentlemen, and over to you
1: wizards of the commercial real estate industry, because anybody who listens to Work Bold is a wizard. I have goosebumps. My name is Dave Cairns. I'm from CBRE, and I am guest hosting the Work Bold podcast. And with me is my dear friend, my mentor, and my business partner, Mr. Strong Beliefs, loosely held, Dan Harvey, vice chairman at CBRE. Welcome, my dear friend. How are you, man? Wow, Dave. The last time I felt
2: that good about myself was after binge watching Tiger King. So thank you.
1: That was a good show and definitely reminiscent of the beginning of the pandemic. It is killer to have you here, man. And I'm just so excited to be here. So we are going to be talking today about a number of different topics, namely the broader future of work continuum that we're all trying to, to better understand. But also, Dan, an article that you recently wrote called the case for social tokens and NFTs in enterprise culture. So we're going to get into that in a lot of depth, but I want to kick off my first question to sort of just get your general pulse on, on what's going on right now. And my questions are somewhat lengthy, so let me just get through the question and then I'm really excited to hear your replies. Okay, so question one. The timing of this recording, it really feels quite pivotal as many companies were about to embark on their first meaningful reentry to the workplace since March of 2020. But then cue the Delta variant. So what continues to astound me 18 months and and beyond into this whole debacle is how divided we remain in the industry and among companies at large about the future of work. It's really a seriously political issue and I I can't even get over it. Like I used to post pretty PG-13 stuff on social media before the pandemic and then I quickly realized that wasn't going to fly anymore and this thing has just become majorly political so with some companies and landlords they're mandating what I'll call a snap back to normal many are remaining completely silent both on the public side of things, but also with their own people, which I find to be sad. And others are deeply studying this inflection point to inform what I'll call their next chess move. With decades of commercial real estate experience and me as your personal friend, what I know a millennia of wisdom inside your head. How do you feel about this moment in Tonin? What defines now and what defines next from where you sit in the future of work? This pandemic
2: is a total and complete system shock. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced in my lifetime. It's personal, it's professional, and it's global. Dave, you and I have spoken about this before, and let me borrow and extend from Tristan Harris from his his great podcast, <laughs> Your Undivided Attention. And he talks about the fundamental problem of humanity. And I think we're at the intersection of this in a really unique way in the arc of human beings. So we have paleolithic emotions that were baked thousands of years ago. Many of us work for medieval institutions, businesses with opioid induced P&L constipation, and governments passing laws at a snail's pace. And then we have accelerating exponential godlike technology raining down on us. Some of it generates new categories of goodness, and some of it is generating new categories of harm faster than humans can build a cleanup truck to clean it up or prevent it from happening. The clock rate of those different features of humanity, the rate equation is what we're working with. And they're really different. So my post-pandemic mental model, it's really to look inside myself and to you and others in our industry towards those who, who may have a set of proprietary insights that are the result of living in the future. We're at a moment where we need to think about what living in the future is And what do we notice that's missing that we need to have? That looks like, where's the breakthrough insight? Where's the breakthrough value proposition? You know, the value hacking and the truth seeking. Where's the breakthrough growth strategy? And how do we syndicate that truth? And what kind of amazing team capabilities do we need in order to make it so? And so the question in my head is, is blockchain and smart contracts and social tokens if they're applied to enterprise culture and workplace innovation, whose time is now? I don't know. It may be because the system shock that drove this uh, work from home moment is giving us permission. It's giving executive leadership, founders, innovators a moment to try things they wouldn't otherwise have tried. So my observations about innovations are really it's, it's ideas and insights that sound plausible now means you're not living in the future by definition. Disruptive ideas will not be popular and they will not seem doable. We have to solve problems in the future that one day will be obvious. Think about the things that the iPhone brought that now seem obvious, but back when it was in invented, we had no idea. It would have seemed crazy. So, anyhow, a couple of thoughts yeah, those about are, my head's working.
1: Those are great riffs. Those are great riffs. And I think we're going to dive a lot deeper into those subjects when we start to talk about your article. But I know that you're not entirely enchanted with this whole hybrid discussion. And you're really more interested in the larger and more broader implications of the future of work, which is really the central sort of piece of your article. But before we go there, I want to touch a little bit on like the workplace and the the real estate side of things more tangibly in the moment. So I'm going to use you and myself as an example, Dan. We met virtually in 2016 or 17. I can't remember at this point. We've spent two days together in person touring with Salesforce in Toronto in 2019. But we have a deep relationship and friendship. It's far deeper than virtually anyone that I have in my business life. And we've only spent two physical days together. You and I, we both know that being together in person, especially in in an enterprise or corporate context is crucial for so many different types of innovations and collaborative tasks. But what is your opinion on How much time we actually need to spend with one another? And what do you think the broader implications on the real estate market could be? Will we see the downsizing of big companies' footprints? How do you envision work changing as a result of what was already in motion, but what the pandemic has just entirely disrupted about this sort of remote first culture that is starting to take shape?
2: Yeah, I think you raise such an interesting question in terms of what does relationship look like as we, as we go forward relationship in terms of professional relationship and workplace. And, you know, your, your point to our own relationship, I think is really in- instructive. So look, I think it depends wh- where you are in the arc of your life and what you care about. And right, we're all different human, human beings, and we all have different wiring and DNA, but I don't think there's any question that, that. Together we are sapiens. We're tribes. We gather. There's a social component that's physical. But with that said, I think that if anything, this pandemic has shown us is that we can have relationships and build relationships that are really digitally based, and that we're heading faster than we can imagine into that territory. I mean, you look at what Facebook just released. I think it was even just yesterday you know in terms of its new product with using virtual reality and conference rooms and the metaverse and this whole area so we're just seeing it explode in front of us and i think this idea that collaboration can only happen in the office is just not complete, is a certain kind of collaboration. And frankly, that, that kind of collaboration favors a certain kind of kind of person who, who tends to, you know, be male and white and extroverted. And I've just been amazed at the collaboration and the connectivity and the relationships that's developed via Zoom or Teams or Google Meets or other digital tools with people that I might not have collaborated with in the same way. So I, I think you're right on in terms of it's not binary. It's not one or the other. It's going to be both. And it's going to be about dosing. And it's going to be about the culture of these companies that
1: drive it. It's a great answer. And I think that the key from my perspective is that we can't romanticize one end of the spectrum or the other. But what I've found interesting posting content online is that I've had a lot of people tell me they think I'm quite balanced in what I say. And then I've had others that that feel that the words I'm using really actually slant in one direction or another and ultimately might be romantic. So I bring that up only to say that for everybody listening, it's really important that we all take pause and, and really, truly try to understand what people are saying. There's an opportunity for us all to learn from one another, regardless of our biases. OK, so I'm going to transition here. Super deep, as usual, from my, my pal. So I want to draw further on your deep. And finally, aged wine, brain, mind, and spirit, because that's just who you are. You are not a surface-level dude, in my experience. So... How can we look at the past, and I mean way back, to the hunter-gatherer societies to inform where we are in the evolution of cities and work? And I'm really excited to hear your answers on this. I think it's even going to give more context to how and when and why we actually get in front of each other in person. So to start and embark on your article, like I was mentioning, what are the workplace culture archetypes that you're seeing ever present in this moment in time? Who do you think's got ample runway in front of them? Who do you think may soon rest with the dinosaurs like we've heard thrown around a lot on social media lately? And I'd really love for you to not hold back here, Dan. If we need to include a disclaimer of any kind, let's do it. I love it. You've really uh, poked me in a way that
2: is getting me going when you talk about hunter-gatherers. And I I do think it's worth maybe veering off into uh, a short rabbit hole. To just talk a little bit about, I think, how hunter-gatherers, and I also think of it as the Keynesian utopian dream, maybe come together, right? If you think about the evolution of cities and then you think about hunter-gatherers and the Keynesian utopian dream, let's first remember like, what that dream was. We'll produce our way into abundance to no work or low work. Hey, you know, 15-hour work week, and that will be sufficient for all our material needs. So that was the Keynesian utopian dream. And so now you go, okay, what about the hunter-gatherers? So they've been around for, oh, I don't know, 320,000 years before modern man set foot here. And so the idea is that they toiled endlessly for material stuff. It's just not right. You know, James Sussman, the British anthropologist and author says what was really going on. And according to his research, the men worked about 15 hours a week to gather food. Women worked about 17 hours and a similar amount for, uh, for household tasks, preparing food. And so that's a total work week of about 30 to 34 hours. And his point is that they had abundance, but it, it comes from a sense of not production but from regulating what you want. Abundance is from regulating what you want. And the hunter-gatherers' concept of time was really different than ours. They had an immediate return of economy. They didn't plan about the future. That changed when you went to the transition of agriculture, which required planning and investing in labor, and a time scale to harvest, future rewards, right? Circular time. It changed the view of ownership of land, like you needed to own land. And then, you know, all that is about farming, changed the relationship to time, right? And it made work seasonal and it changed our view of cities. And right, you think about cities, right? And this is really important for where we are at this moment. Cities changed our relationship to want, density, the pressing together. It developed a form of scarcity. that was articulated in the language of aspiration, jealousy, and desire rather than absolute need. So we're around all these people and we see what they have and we see that we're in competition with them. And it starts to be like licking honey off a razor blade. And particularly this moment in time, we really have this inequality that is in our economies and we can get into why that is or what that is, but it's there and the pressing together of people in cities really accentuates that and that's what's so amazing about this moment you know snapping back to 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 where we are today in the future is the great diaspora of workplace right and workforce may end up being a real help in the de-densification of this connection of everybody has more than me and how do I step on them to get it? And what are the government agencies that are in my way to do that or the politics of something? And again, I know we don't want to get off into that terrain, but I think it's worth mentioning. And it's really connected to what may be happening.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's really important, I think, to dive into because I believe the World Economic Forum is predicting that by 2050, something like 70% of humans are going to live in cities. And there's obviously a lot of inherent benefits to living in cities. What you describe the pressing up of people against one another and and the comparison sort of stuff that starts to happen, I can literally relate to it in this moment because I just got home from Prince Edward Island yesterday, a place that's got 135,000 people. There is not a tall skyscraper in the sky. And the amount of comparison that's taking place is far less. And it actually, I think in some regards, has to do with more dispersion between where people are like living and interacting with one another. So you can see why as humans, we might emotionally want to be closer to something like that. How do we incorporate that into the growth of cities? And I don't expect you to have an answer, but if you do, please feel free. If not, we can move on to the next topic.
2: Look, I'm not
1: saying cities are bad and I'm not dystopian
2: to cities. I live in San Francisco and I have loved it here. And I know you've been in Toronto and what a world-class city that is. I would not be the person I am today without the messy chaos, frankly, clown car of derangement. These are essential ingredients that make it fertile, right? we need to have awareness back to our paleolithic emotions that the densities of cities, what they do to us, the good, the bad of it. And again, back to dosing and titration. It's not that we shouldn't be in cities and pressed together because of the innovation. Truly, that is important, but it's not just about that. And so- That's kind of how I think. I I love the fact that you were, you you know, Prince Edward Island. What What a nice, you know, movement between the both and for you to feel that and see that. So to me, it's like, what's the Goldilocks dosing of cities and less dense places? And how does that fit into workplace, productivity, collaboration, talent? recruiting, retention. Those are the things that I'm thinking a lot about.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great opportunity for us to transition to our next question. Going a little bit further into your article, talking about basically how NFTs and tokens can influence enterprise cultures and behaviors. I think that In this whole future of work discussion that's just been front and center uh, since the pandemic, there's a group of us out there that know that this all exists on a continuum, like we've said a couple times already, and then there's some extremists on both sides. So as we dive into something that's a lot more interesting than hybrid and how many square feet a person and maybe the, the redesign of the way workplaces actually look, can you give us a sort of simple sixth grader explanation of what a non-fungible token is. And once we understand what that is, can you give us some practical examples of how you think that they can be applied to influence behavior in the corporate realm, hopefully in ways that are mutually beneficial to employer and employee? I think most of us have probably heard
2: the term NFTs, which are actually non-fungible tokens. And so if you think about a non-fungible token, what is it? It's a unique digital asset that sits on a smart contract or programmable blockchain that's customized. So think about Ethereum as that underlying blockchain. Some examples have been the CryptoPunks. It's been Art Beeple's. You've got Jack Dorsey's first tweet was an NFT. There's a number of, of examples that have been really high value. So that's that's an NFT, a fungible token. Probably the simplest one is Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is Fungible in that if you own one Bitcoin, it's the same as owning another Bitcoin. It's not unique. There's going to be 21 million Bitcoins. And so very different than the U.S. dollar. You hear a lot of people talk about that, but it's like a dollar is a dollar, right? A Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar. You don't care if you have one or the other. It just is. So it's not a unique asset. So that's sort of the quick difference between the two, but it's important to understand. I wrote this article and what I, what I was thinking about is it comes back to the culture of companies and where we're headed as we go through this system shock, and it's really about h- how does executive leadership, founders, CEOs of companies begin to try to nudge behavior that they want in the workforce in a way that connects with technology. And that was the idea behind the use case for for social tokens and potentially NFTs and enterprise culture. It's about, it's about
1: nudging behavior. That's really great. Now, can you give us some examples that stand out to you that are practical in their orientation? You know, how can the environment maybe be helped through commuting? I've heard you talk a lot about influencing the types of behaviors that enterprises are actually seeking from their employees. I think it would be helpful to give a couple of examples. Let's just first start with just the whole idea of Culture.
2: I I, I love when give credit to Ben Horowitz, who wrote in his book, what you do is who you are, right? So virtue and culture is what you do. It's not what you say. It's not your company's bumper sticker of values or a mission statement on a website. And so how could social or maybe we can call them enterprise tokens because they're in an enterprise, but how can fungible social enterprise tokens create a a paradise for behavioral economics? Because they're businesses. So it is about economics. And I think the thing that, that you can think about is could an economy within a company of social tokens be set up that encourages certain kinds of employee behavior or employee actions. What are some examples? What if you had the ability to earn tokens through vaccinations and boosters? And we're probably realizing that that COVID is, it's a pandemic, but it may be turning into, unfortunately, an endemic, right? So there's going to be an ongoing concern about overall health and wellness. So there could be actions like that, that that leadership of of an enterprise wants to take. Equity, diversion, and inclusion goals. What a huge area right now. I was on the phone yesterday with a founder talking about how important that is to their recruiting. Well, what if people in talent and recruiting could earn tokens based upon hitting objectives and goals in that area that both were in cities and in maybe second tier or rural areas? Could be super interesting. What about team agreements in terms of how many days are we going to be in the office, right? Or maybe how many days we're not going to be in the office? Establishing minimum days or maybe maximum days. So the whole area around team agreement. Are we ever going to have a team meet in person and virtual? Maybe a team goes, "We're not going to do that. We're either if we're not all in person, we're all virtual." So we don't create that proximity to power struggle that may be there. When is my manager going to be in the office, right? Metrics for productivity and starting to accept what does productivity look like from work from home, work from near home. All these kinds of things I, I think could potentially be candidates
1: for so, social tokens. <laughs> That's really interesting. You're the only person that I'm currently aware of that's talking about this as an application to the workplace if for some reason there are others like you which i don't imagine there are many please hopefully if they listen they can chime in and add some more value to this conversation but it's super interesting dan and i'm going to give you a little plug for anybody who is listening that actually has real estate requirements to, to deal with believe it or not that's actually what dan does to make money contrary to what he's talking about now he will help you rent renew or do anything related to your office space. So wouldn't you want someone like this helping you out? I know I would. Okay, so I'm going to transition to our sort of question, I guess. It's more I'm more looking again for your broader thoughts. I think you've really given the listeners of this podcast an opportunity to get a little more abstract. You've mentioned concepts like the metaverse. You've mentioned the application of non-fungible tokens to the workplace. So these are not the conventional topics of the day related to the future of work. So I think it's really amazing that we get to cover some of them. But I wouldn't want to leave the scene of this crime without asking someone who usually only gives their opinions to a select and small group of people to offer any last words that you had. For the commercial real estate industry because there's a lot of people on this podcast that are actually in the commercial real estate industry so to that audience what do you think that they can do to partner in not only helping people but our precious planet to keep healing because there really has been some healing what i'll call side effects of covid but also find more solace and fulfillment from leveraging commercial real estate products and services what can we do as an industry to make end users lives better and how can we play a part in not only cleaning up our mess, but also help save the planet? That's my last question for you, Mr. Strong Beliefs, loosely held. That's a big one. Let me say in part that the
2: second half of what do these employees do with these tokens is in part the answer or, or starts to t- take you there. Let me just touch on one or two of these things. You take these actions and you, you might get company stock, particularly for employees that don't have RSUs. Well, that really starts to create the ability for people who might otherwise not be owners in these early stage companies to get equity, which gets back to the problems that we're seeing in our economy around inequality. You might get vacation, sabbatical time. You might turn it in for a childcare stipend or priority access to nearby offsite childcare. You might be able to turn it in for car services or things so you're not driving your car. I mean, you might be able to turn it in for work from near home. I don't have to drive into the office. I can go to a, a liquid space, a Regis, an Industrious, a WeWork, right? go down the list. might be able to get food delivery at my home. Things, Things like that. Those are the reasons why an employee would look at it. So I think when you come to, well, let's face it, this is scary. And one of my favorite quotes I've talked about it is from Upton Sinclair. And it's never try to convince a man of an idea if his net worth, his or her salary, his or her social status depends on them not understanding it. And that is what is happening is we're all really Worried and scared with this godlike exponential technology raining down on us, and so w- what? What I would say to your your question is: We're every single one of us is full of cognitive anchoring and confirmation biases. We have fixed mindsets. We just all do, you know. And companies will either decide to shift their policies to become competitive, or they may slowly atrophy because the company foists whether it's full time back to office mandates or other. Pre pandemic cultural ways of doing things on a knowledge workforce, who, by the way, has a lot of power. The innovators, the creators, the knowledge workforce has a lot of power in their labor and they have choice. So, if we can't get over our fixed mindsets, it's got to go back to the way it was. We may find we have much bigger problems than our company culture. Um, I mean, I'm a a huge fan of uh, the Sufi poet Rumi, and I I love his quote from him, out beyond the ideas of right and wrong, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And that's what I do with you, Dave. I meet you there. So thank you
1: for meeting me there. I love that quote, and it's why I love you. Thank you, Mr. Dan Harvey. Strong beliefs loosely held. I almost forgot. Caleb's fun loving end to the podcast, the quick fire question round, which is, again, I got goosebumps. I can't believe I'm asking the questions. So first question for you, Dan, who in the commercial real estate industry inspires you? That is an
2: easy answer for me. And I'm going to go to a landlord. I'm going to go to a landlord side and I'm going to go to, I think one of the most blue flame thinkers on institutional real estate. And that is Lisa Picard, a CEO of EQ. She is an unbelievable thinker and has spent time riffing with me. By the way, a lot of it's suffering on gravel rides and mountain bike rides all over the West Coast here. My hat's off to her and I'd spotlight her.
1: Yeah. Lisa, if you're listening, I talk to Dan weekly, sometimes semi-daily, and he doesn't go a conversation without bringing you up. Okay. Question. What podcasts or media do you consume to stay ahead on industry trends or just like things that you find interesting outside the industry?
2: I'm a podcast wackadoo, I guess it's fair to say. Yeah. A couple of ones that are, are regulars for me is, um, I love listening to, uh, which is uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. They are all about technology and they veer into workplace. I'm not all the time, but it's adjacent and tangential. I think they're really interesting. I I love Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman. He's um, really dealing with my clients, which are fast sector clients that are disruptive. He does a great job. I'm Spencer Levy with The Weekly Take, which is a CBRE podcast. It comes out, I think does a really good job of the specific industry that we're in. So those are three. And dare I say now the Work Bold podcast? Work Bold. Let me tell you what, 100%. And I heard from you, by the way, about Work Bold. And the very first one I listened to was actually my client, Michelle Snyder, with Caleb. And I, in fact, I was on my bike riding it and I was like, oh my God, this is phenomenal. And I immediately emailed Michelle and was like, nice job. And then I got to meet Caleb.
1: So for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Caleb is, is charting a path of change and an awesome discussion in the industry like no one I've literally come into contact with. So, I'm glad you're fan. Okay, last question. What is your favorite holiday destination? And I don't know the answer, so I'm I'm actually really excited to hear this one. Super hard question, but our family, we do thematic
2: vacations and unfortunately the pandemic has disrupted that, but one of the thematic vacations we did was Christmas markets in Europe and Prague, blue
1: my mind so i'm going with prague christmas packets. it is a beautiful historic city i went there when i was like 20 let's just say it was a darker time for me when i was there i'd like to go back with my family all right man Yo, know, this has been an incredible experience for me i hope you've enjoyed it dan i'm going to leave everybody again once more with your quote out beyond The ideas of right and wrong, there is a feel. I will meet you there. I feel fortunate that I get to meet you there regularly and hear what you got to say. And I'm super grateful for everybody listening that they will now have that same opportunity. So thanks again.
2: Thank you, Dave. And thank you, Caleb, for, for letting us do this.
0: Guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And everyone listening, be sure to connect with Dave and Dan on LinkedIn. And thank you for tuning in today. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drumroll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.
1: This podcast was produced by a podcast company.
2: If you'd like to find out how we can help you with your podcast, simply email jason at
1: apodcastcompany.com and check out our website at a podcast company.com
0: dot com